Well, welcome. This is WNZN Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. Very happy that you tuned in today and for another show. I'm sitting here with my good friend and assistant, David Abood. Hey, John. Great to be here with you today, and welcome back from your trip. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, we did a trip to Italy with a focus <clears throat> on early Christianity and how that first century really changed the world. So we'll get into that. But we want to thank everybody, like I said, to tune in. This is WNZN Radio, uh, 89.1 FM on your station. If you're having any difficulty getting the signal, just uh, you can I can pick it up off my phone, uh, Electra, uh, iPad. Um, just go to uh, www.wnzn.com, wnzn.com, or you can go to uh, 89.1 FM. That's right. what I often do. You know, right. and it's yeah. very clear. So, uh, as you said, David, welcome back. <laughs> I, I've been gone for well, not quite two weeks. Yeah, uh, leading a tour to Italy. My wife Marie and I. Had 31 people uh, from Cleveland, Philadelphia, Atlanta, et cetera, that joined the, this uh, tour that we did, uh, left us, what was it, August 26th, I think. But anyhow, spent about 10, 11 days over in Italy. And like I said, the focus was on, uh, it was just a tour, a travel tour, it was that, but it was more in the sense that we wanted <clears throat> to see how Christianity came to Rome, which is just means all of Italy at that time, and that would become a center to launch into Europe right. uh, the Christian message and the gospel. And of course, that first century, Rome, the Roman Empire was at it was really a, what a, like a high watermark. It was oh, really yeah. they they had control over a good part mm -hmm. uh, everywhere from Great Britain, present day Great Britain, Spain, uh, all the way to North Africa. Of course, it was Israel or Palestine at the time and then uh, into Turkey and Asia Minor. So they were really a very powerful uh, nation, uh, an empire, really. And we're going to see that the thing with Rome, uh, and I, when I say Rome, I mean Italy, but it just it uses Rome in the, in the New Testament for all of Italy. But the influence it has in the world today, especially on America, when you think about it, like a lot of our legal system is based on Roman law, even something like habeas corpus right to body or they do pro bono do, do the legal for free yeah. or um if you study the senate well where did the senate where did our structure mm -hmm. of government come from well a lot of that came from rome they they were the ones with the big amphitheaters the big spectacle sport yeah so we went to the coliseum and of course uh we have the big spectacle sport yeah uh, football stadiums and that and matter of fact our super bowl how do they number it with roman numerals yeah. you know yeah. and, and then we went to Circus Maximus, where the Colosseum held 50, 55,000 uh, viewers. That there would be at the Circus Maximus, where they raced chariots, uh, was over 110,000. Yeah. Well, that would be equivalent to the race car tracks down south. So, my point being, there's a lot of similarities mm -hmm. between Roman culture and the influence in modern day culture, Western Europe, as well as America today. So, we're going to delve into that a little bit. So, so we went there and um, we may, you may have questions as I roll along, David. Just feel free to ask them. But we flew into Rome, uh, the airport then, and then we got everyone together. Uh, we had people coming from five different cities in the States, but they had to all arrive within a three-hour window where we Gosh. all waited at the airport because wow. they had to come. And then uh, we got in a bus and went down to Naples, which is about from here to maybe Columbus, from Cleveland to Columbus, a little bit further maybe. And so that's where we really started our tour. 
But God really answered prayer. The weather was really pretty good, yeah. a little warm. I mean, hot at the hills. No severe rain and uh, no um, injuries, not the major, you know, stitches or somebody broke a bone. There was a lot of walking and steps involved because you're going through the ruins of these places. Um, but nevertheless, all everything logistically, hotels, drivers, uh, entry into these different places is not always easy. And my good friend, uh, Gianni and Fanny Basta, who were fellow missionaries with our organization, yeah. um, he's from Italy. <laughs> She's not, but she lived in Italy, so they could speak Italian. I mean, they could speak yeah, Italian. They knew their way around, and they really were the ones that really led this tour. What Marie and I did was essentially do the spiritual side, the biblical side, whereas we had professional historians would do about the Colosseum or about Florence or about Pompeii. So we had a, what I want to focus a little bit in our conversation for these couple of minutes is the spiritual implications that we saw yeah. along the way. And just, uh, so that was it. You know, we went down there and uh, Naples is in the south of Italy. And that's important for many reasons. Of course, we'll talk in a second. That's where Paul arrived well, in mm -hmm. Italy. Uh, I can read in the scripture. When yeah. you turn to Acts 27, that's where he, uh, he, he was going as a prisoner. He wants to be tried because he's a Roman citizen, and he wants to be tried by Caesar. That is to say, under Roman uh, law. Acts 27, huh? Yeah, so he goes through this whole thing of, uh, if you remember, there's a, he's on this ship. It runs into trouble. It basically shipwrecks. He gets on this yeah. island with the others. Over 200 uh, people, on the men on this, on this boat. It breaks to pieces, last verse of chapter 27. They're on this island of Malta. And then when you come down, um, it says they come down and finally they now enter into Rome. And when they come in there, that's that's basically where it's, it's going to start. Mm -hmm. It says if you see uh, uh, verse 14, no, I would say start in verse, um, if you want to read verse 12, <coughs> Through 15 of chapter 28. Just oh, 28. I was uh, in 27. That's the, the ship in the, the okay, storm in other uh, Italy. Okay, 28 verse 12. Yeah, through, uh, you can go through okay. 14. Yeah. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Patul. Patuli. Mm -hmm. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Okay, so now he lands in Italy. Yeah. And um, they're going, they're by, they're on foot, of <clears> course. <throat> they're starting to walk the very place we took the bus ride down from Rome to Naples. It says, but notice in verse 14. Uh, they arrived in this port city of Patoli. That's in present-day Na Naples. We actually went and saw a plaque by this port where it talked about Paul arriving there. They located that historical mm -hmm. position. And then it says, We found brothers there, who, and they desired to tarry with them for seven days. So they find other Christians that are there. Right. And here's the importance of fellowship. Paul went through all this stuff, mm -hmm. but when he arrived there, these Christians... They say, hey, stay with us for seven days, and that's what Paul does. It's really interesting, I like, because when we first arrived in Naples that Sunday, they asked us to come to the uh, Italian church 
and they wanted me to speak, give a sermon. And so it was just like, we, I used that in the sermon. Paul went there 2,000 years ago. First, he got to Italy. He, he met these Christians for fellowship. When we came over by plane, the first night we were there, we're in this church with these fellow Christians. I thought it was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. The importance of fellowship, even though we're separated by 2,000 years. Yeah. So I was able to preach there through a translator that evening. Then it says, um, verse 14, then we went to Rome. And from there, when the, bre the other brothers, heard, other Christians heard of us, they came to meet us as far as at by form and the three taverns. And when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. So in other words, even though Paul's going as a prisoner up to Rome, he's meeting believers along the way. And they're encouraging him. He's probably encouraging them. And so it just shows um, the power of Christian fellowship. 2,000 years ago, this was going on. And we share it today. And we should never minimize the importance of uh, Christian fellowship. So this is Paul arriving. We're not yeah. sure how many he was with. My assumption is he probably had Timothy. Uh, certainly Luke, because Luke is recording all of this. And maybe he's there's eight of them, ten of them. We don't know that are coming on shore with Paul. But why this is so important, that uh, at this time the Roman Empire is in full yeah. l l bloom, so to speak, full <laughs> strength. But four centuries from now, Roman Empire is going down and Christianity is going to go up in rapid expansion. So in a sense, Paul's invading uh, this small group and he's going to change the world. He, when he gets off the boat that day, uh, the world's going to change. Certainly Europe and by proxy, the Americas, etc., etc. I mean, we sit here today as a result of what these guys are doing back there 20 Isn't that centuries something, ago. Joe? Yeah, praise God. So... So he gets off there, yeah. and then he makes his way. See, Paul always wanted to go to Rome, and you'll see that in uh, Romans. He writes this letter. We think it's from Corinth, but he talks about how bad he wants to go to Rome. And, of course, the big reason there is Rome was the power center. I mean, yeah. if you want to get a message out, you like today, if you really want to get your message out, you would probably go to New York, right? right? maybe right. L.A., London, um I don't know, Dubai, you would want to go to a major center. Yeah. And of course, Paul might be thinking this. There's already Christians there. We know from Pentecost that there were certain Jews that were from mm -hmm. Rome that they came to Pentecost, they became believers, and they went back. So he's going there. It's roughly about the year um, 58 AD. So he's at maybe 20 years, 25 years since Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Yeah. But he says here in the, in the letter to the Romans. Where are you? Uh, the letter to Romans. Uh, he's writing this letter to the church at Rome, but he, he's just saying, I want to go there. He says, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 7, To all that are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So he's saying these Christians in Rome whom he's not met, their faith is known throughout all the world. They've got a good reputation. Let mm -hmm. me put the great influence. And he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel, verse 9. Without ceasing, I pray for you. Now here's where he says in verse 10. I make a request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. Mm. And that's what we're seeing in Acts. He's going He's writing this letter from Corinth many years earlier, but he's expressing this idea. He wants to come to Rome. Why? Look at verse 11 and 12. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. 
That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Notice that. First, he wants to give them some spiritual gifting, maybe teaching, joining, instruction. But then he says, verse 12, that I might be comforted together with you. So you're going to benefit yeah. me too. That's the, that's the key. That is the key. To fellowship. And that you're absolutely right. It's just like with you and I, John. I mean, you know, you've been my mentor now for what twelve years, and you know, um, before I couldn't even find verses in the Bible. So, um, you know, we've come a long way. But I think the the relationship Christians have, you know, it shows right there. Uh, it says brothers and sisters. When you run into a fellow Christian, it almost seems like you've known them for for years. Yeah. Because you have that bond, and it's really a, a, a global bond. So you can go to Europe, you can go to other places, you can stay with these Christians. You know, you can travel with them, and and they seem. Yeah, I hate to say this, but a lot of times it's closer than your bloodline family. That's a good point, Dave, because... Uh, and, yeah, it, you know, and I'm thinking about Jesus when they came to collect him and he said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? You know, he had a falling out with his family for a while. They thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you see a lot of families today that are struggling just because of skeletons in the closet. It's hard growing up. It's hard growing up. And you have all those issues... Um, if your family wasn't, you know, a Pleasantville, I don't know many families that had a, gr- a perfect time when you're growing up as kids, brothers and sisters, but there really is a strong bond. And the beautiful thing about it is it's a white canvas. You don't have any skeletons in the closet with these people. You just have a common bond, which is your faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, right, right. And that's, that's the strongest bond you can have. Yeah, and like I always yeah. say, if... If you have the same father, yeah, right. by definition, you're brothers and sisters. Right. Well, if we if we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ by receiving Him, yeah. you, you have a kindred spirit. And, you know, I've been <clears> blessed <throat> to travel different places. Yes. Yeah. And you get there, and it's just like you say, David, these are people you just, you resonate mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. You know, you just mm-hmm. resonate. Not that we're anyone yeah. who's perfect in relationships, but you sense that Holy Spirit within him, and that fellowship is very easy. And here's Paul saying this. He's not Roman. He's not Italian. He, mm-hmm. He's Jewish. He's a rep. But he wants to go to them that he might strengthen their faith, but in turn, he wants his faith to be strengthened. You know, um, the way I see it is I realize how hard, you know, before I was a Christian, it's hard work to develop a friendship. Yeah. You know, when you're meeting somebody cold for the first time, you can take them out to lunch, dinner, but you really don't get to know them quickly mm-hmm. when you run into a fellow christian it's like you know have known them your whole life mm-hmm. you've got that common bond you can talk about anything with them good and bad and then the personal stuff just fits in but the christianity is on top of the discussion and everything else trails for sure what what a what is there a better way to get to know somebody? Right, and that was and that's going, their main belief system. And that's going on two thousand yeah. years ago mm-hmm. on Paul's arrival in Rome. We right. just saw that. So while we're in Naples, right close in Naples is mm-hmm. this famous city called Pompeii. Yes. Now Pompeii has been movies have been made about oh, it, but yes. what it was was a port city, uh, rather large. Think of Westlake or something yeah, like that. Easily, uh, yeah. Thousands of people. It was very prosperous because mm-hmm. it was a trading town. You know, right. ships were pulling. And um, 
what happened was in, in the year 79 AD. It was a metropolitan city of Naples too, correct? Right, okay. right. Yeah. That was a, exactly right. right. And so, what, you, so you went to Pompeii first when you yeah, arrived? Yeah, we went to Naples and then the church oh. service in the evening and then the next day we went okay. to Pompeii. Okay. So what was uh, so important <clears throat> there, of course, is that um, what, what Pompeii is, there's, you, in 78 AD, uh, there's a uh, Vesuvius is a mm -hmm. volcano as you can still see it today it's a big mm -hmm. mountain right yeah. a triangular mountain and it blew and yeah. the people living there of course some were able to get out but most were not and it was just uh, horrific I mean what happened in terms of the destruction oh yeah and the whole place was leveled with lava and ash this whole city and it would be Years it was all covered, and it was not till the 1700s they started digging and finding these houses and shops and road systems mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. And then over the years, more and more the town was cleared out, so you can actually walk <clears throat> around these city streets yeah. very yeah, advanced, right. very technical. Oh, yeah, they had saunas, they had gymnasium, they have bakeries, temples. Uh, gladiator. They had a little arena for gladiators. They showed where they lived when they were training. They have a, a, a rather large theater, like an amphitheater. Right. And you can. We walked amongst that, and we could even see where they dug up the ash formed around the bodies of animals and human beings, and calcified them. So you can see human beings, you know, in their death, their death kind of mask, if you will, that when they were running or were covering themselves, yeah. and they perfectly preserved. And you, I saw several of these bodies. At one time, the last time I was there, you actually saw a dog with a chain on Gosh. his neck like he was running up steps. But it just told you, what it, the lesson it showed me, David, hmm. is you, people can, they thought that tomorrow was going to be like today. It's yeah. a little like 7-Eleven, right? Uh, I mean, 9-11, sorry. Everybody that was going in the Twin Towers that day with their laptop computers and their Starbucks coffee, and all, they just thought it's another day, right? And they didn't realize, no, this is the day. This is their last day. And that's how quick. Just think about a month ago, what happened in Hawaii? You know, uh, Lahaina. Yeah. I've been there a couple times. A beautiful city right there on the mm -hmm. coast of uh, Maui. And just like that, within an hour, sudden destruction. Yeah. A fireball came mm -hmm. down and wiped out upwards maybe a thousand people. My point being, and the spiritual lesson I draw from this, is where it talks about uh, in Psalm 90, uh, if you go there, it's just this idea of, um, you know, I don't know if you want to read it or not, yeah, but starting it. in verse, uh, <clears throat> um, okay, if you look at verse 9 mm -hmm. through, uh, yeah, 9 through 10. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Keep going? Yeah. Uh, but if, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There it is. Teach us to number our days yeah. that we may get a heart of wisdom. And <clears throat> the scripture also says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not 
what a day might bring forth. Yeah. And so the whole thing with our, as I was leading this tour in Pompeii, we're walking through these famous ruins where thousands of people died just like within an hour or something. It's the idea that um, you don't know. And that's why in Luke 13, Jesus talks, was, was the, there was this famous thing in verse 1 where it says, There were present at the season some who told him at the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. Mm -hmm. In other words, yeah. Pilate killed some of these people when they came to the, uh, to the sacrifice at the temple. Jesus said, Do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all you Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. In other words, he's talking about the suddenness of death and calamity. And he's saying, don't think that came on them as some kind of judgment or whatever, but it's like a warning to each of us <laughs> to be ready, yeah. to repent, to have faith. That's, that was a man-made disaster that he was going around killing these mm -hmm. people that came to worship. But, in the, the, but then he says in verse 4, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall... Again, he's saying this one was natural, mm -hmm. one was man-made. They killed <coughs> these guys, the others, right. this tower fell. Or maybe the wind blew it or it killed 18 people when it fell. But Jesus is saying, don't try to figure out were they sinners that this happened, but rather use that as a warning that in our own lives that we'd be in a repentant mode right. and stay close to God. And same thing at Pompeii. They probably thought, hey, eat, drink, and be merry. It was a really, a, it was very prosperous, very sinful oh, yeah. town too. Right. It was a little like, mm -hmm. I don't know, mm -hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah or yeah. Las Vegas on a bad night or something. I don't, but the people didn't think this is it. And that was the lesson we drew away from Pompeii. In other words, but the architecture, it was beautiful. There's no getting around it. But the thing is, life is fleeting, you know, and, and if people just think, you know, we get into this mindset that, hey, next month I'm going to do this, and a year from now I'm going to do that. It's not bad to make plans, but we don't know. You know, there's a very interesting parable Jesus gives where he says this man, this farmer, had a very prosperous year, and he tore down the barns, and he had built new barns, and he kept getting more and more prosperous. And then he says to himself, take ease, O my soul, because he basically has all this wealth, like a big retirement fund built yeah. up. But then God says, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. See, the guy didn't do anything wrong in being good steward, prosperity, investment. But if you study that parable, all you see this word, the pronoun I, I, I did this, I made this grow, I did this, I'm going to take it easy now. He's no room for God. Yeah. And that's the thing. He says... He didn't think he was going to die that night. He didn't, you know. He thought he was going to have this big, long, mm -hmm. prosperous future. But it says, and I think it's a lesson for all of us. Oh, yeah. You know, we live in a great <clears throat> community. You know, we have good food, we have clean water, and this and that. But we don't know. You know, we don't know. And so we should always be mindful of, of the brevity of life and and the suddenness of death. Yeah. You know, a lot of us think, okay, I'm going to try to live to be 90 or 100. <clears throat> but how many of us know somebody... You, hear, you get news, you go, what? He died? Yeah. He just dropped over with a heart attack. Have you heard that yet? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> On many occasions, mm. now that I'm getting older, John. But, you know, I'll tell you that, um, you know, it, it is ironic that, you know, you just got back from Pompeii and what happened in Hawaii so quickly. Yeah. And over a thousand people still missing like that. Just like that in a blink of an eye. Again, you know, I've said this before on a lot of shows.
Um, I my plan was to wait until I was fully retired to start getting into the Bible. Yeah, right. That was my plan. Yeah. And who's to say that I'm going to be alive in my 70s or 80s? And, you know, um, so um, I am so grateful that <clears throat> that we met and now we've been on this walk together and we've done so many different things together. Um, and primarily, you know, our goal, our focus is to try and to create, you know, bring other disciples to Christ. Yeah, you want to bring people right. matured. Yeah. Right. So, but, but we're trying, this is really a gift. So if you have a Pompeii, yeah. or if you have an incident like what happened in Hawaii, there's no regrets. And you've saved yourself, you've saved your family, and and you're, you're really in a good place because you always want to be prepared because, as you said, there's no guarantees at all mm-hmm. about how long you're going to live or how long your family's going to live, your friends. There's no guarantee at all. So that's that's the point yeah. of being that uh, to, to, to be prepared. And yeah. uh, again, leaving Pompeii, then we went to Rome. But the, the stress was on the fact that many people do delay. Somebody <clears throat> said the, 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 the best day to get saved is today. The worst yeah. day is tomorrow. Because yeah. the Bible says you don't know what a, a day might bring forth. And I've heard people say, I'm going to wait to the 11th hour, the 12th hour. The problem is maybe they're going to die at 1030. That, that, that's what you told I remember you were talking to that one guy who said, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And then you said, well, what if this happens at 1030? You don't know. Right. So <clears throat> so then we made our way from there uh, up towards Rome. And that's, yeah. of course, Rome uh, was the, they call it the eternal city. I mean, mm-hmm. Rome is was Rome. <laughs> and what they built there, uh, whatever you say about the Romans and some of their emperors, uh, Caesar Augustus, Nero, Trajan, Titus, uh, what these guys built stands today. They ruled most of the Mediterranean world, as you said. And it's unbelievable when you actually look at the map of what the Roman Empire covered. Yeah. It was unbelievable just to think. And their road systems, just their road systems, they had over 50,000 miles of road. Hardcore, and the way they built it again, you can walk on these roads today. And they- so, so when we went, you know, I, I, I had an asphalt and silicone business uh, to pay my way through college. Mm. And um, when we got to Rome and we're right outside the Colosseum, they were working on the road. Mm-hmm. And I was with my, my wife, Marilyn, and they were, they were down about six feet, and I was just amazed. The Colosseum's right there, I'm looking at the road, right? And bricklayer after bricklayer, six feet down, yeah. Unbelievable the way the way they built the infrastructure in the city out there, and then you start thinking through every level of that brick in the history of of people going by, you know, down those roads. Yeah, you think of legions, of soldiers, yeah. thousands. You think of carts of yeah, supplies, hundreds of years, war yeah. weapons, catapults, right? Uh, cattle, mm-hmm. horses, regular people traversing mm-hmm. up and down. But I mean, fifty thousand miles of road they had roads in in great britain they had roads in um spain in israel in mm-hmm. in the north africa i mean not to count their aqueducts but see well, a couple of the reasons christianity spread so quickly was number one um the roman roads mm-hmm. they could travel quickly the message could get out quickly number two the greek language the market language of that time was greek mm-hmm. and that's why the new testament is written in greek and of course, Greek is a very good philosophical language, so you could fit in these terms 
you see in the New Testament, like uh, logos. In the beginning was the logos yeah. and the logos. So those kind of so you had the road system, you had the language, but also one thing the Romans did was they try to keep things peaceful, right and down. Yeah. Now they used force to do it, yeah. and that's what was called Pax Romana, the peaceful empire. What a lot of people don't realize is they also had a very serious uh, postal system. Mm -hmm. They could move letters. Uh, they had like uh, almost like we have uh, the Pony Express. They could move mail across the empire rather quickly. So all of these kind of ingredients came together yeah. and uh, helped uh, explode, you know, propel the early church. Well, you know, I was just looking up some of the inventions of the Roman Empire. Cement, um, the aqueduct, sanitation they developed, uh, the road system, as you said, 55,000 miles, social care and welfare, the Julian calendar, elements of surgery, um, modern legal system, newspaper, public press, and then uh, postal service. Postal service. Wow. And of course the famous uh, arch. They, they came yes. up with the arch. And if you look at a lot of the buildings in Washington, D.C., the pillars oh, and all, yeah. uh, they're based on Roman uh, architecture. Mm -hmm. So we actually, and then of course I've already said about the amphitheater and the big sports stadiums, etc. So th th there was a lot that Rome still influences us today oh, in yeah. many ways. But we would be wise to learn lessons with things they didn't do right. Yes. And so when we got to Rome, um, we started touring. And of course, one of the main features, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the Colosseum. Mm -hmm. So we had an opportunity to go there. Uh, the lines weren't too long. And uh, we got in there, and you look at this thing. You stand on the ground, you look up, and you think, how could men build this thing 2,000 years ago? How do they hoist these? But if you look at it, there's a series of arches. And so once they had the arch perfected, the key with the arch was that cornerstone, that mm -hmm. keystone, mm -hmm. and it would displace weight. So all they had to do, I'm not saying all they had to do, was replicate these arches and then hoist them up, and then you could start fashioning this stadium, this Colosseum. But what's interesting about that, David, is that I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, when they came to build this thing, yeah. the, the ingenuity, the creativity, the cooperation, the coordination of all these men coming together to build something like that speaks of man's ingenuity and creativity. But you know what they did with it to inaugurate it when they started it for mm -hmm. 100 days when they opened it? Mm -hmm. They killed thousands of animals. Yeah. They killed thousands yeah. and thousands of animals for sport. And then what they would do, and then they would drag, they'd drag the bodies off, and then they'd drag the sand. They'd smooth the sand out. That's where you get the word arena comes from the Latin word sand. Mm -hmm. So they'd smooth that out, and then they'd bring out the prisoners, slaves, Christians, criminals, whatever, and then they have sport, letting wild animals attack yeah. them, shooting them with arrows, and then as later in the day, and again, you're looking at 55,000 spectators, at okay. least they're in there yeah. watching and cheering right. and stuff, right. then they marched out the gladiators, and those were like uh, heroes, like Tom Brady in right. the day. Yeah. So all of them, they weren't looking necessarily to get killed, but that was a blood, so what I'm getting at, I call it the glory and the gory of Rome. <laughs> It, man, man can do incredible things, creativity, but nevertheless, look what he used it for. And the yeah. Bible says, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And I yeah. think that's perfectly displayed with the Colosseum. They, they had incredible ingenuity, creativity. What they built stands today. But what did they use it for? Cruelty. Yeah, murder, sport. It was sport. Torture. Yeah. Slaughter. Mm -hmm. So man uh, it doesn't change. I mean, mm -hmm. we have incredible minds today that can split the atom. 
But what do they do with it oftentimes? Yeah, we can make energy with it and that, but we can also make these horrific bombs that can destroy cities in a matter of minutes. You know, you get to the point where, you know, you get to that pinnacle of success, which Rome had all across the board, from rule to wealth, and you get complacency or boredom, and what do they do? They come up with all these sporting events at the Coliseum, um, which, as you said, were just cruel and... It, it, couldn't you do something else with your time? I mean, could I mean, it's just it's just crazy to think about. Yeah, one of the things they did there shows you how sinful we are and how, um, you know, we, we achieved the, all these great pinnacles of success, and then it's almost like we're barbarians, and and go down the ladder as fast as we came up it with success. Well, the the I, issue here, David, of course, I think we may have talked about this before, yeah. if not. If you look at the growth of man's intelligence mm -hmm. and knowledge um, and put it on a graph, let's say just from the Industrial Revolution, yeah. the turn of the 1800s into the mm -hmm. 1900s, it's, it's just rising quickly, mm -hmm. right? And then, we're, you know, we come into the 1900s, there's no such thing as an airplane. Right. We're just getting motorized vehicles. Uh, they got a little tiny Morse code in this. And then as you start going towards World War II, you got airplanes, you got sophisticated radio systems, radar systems, and then coming out of World War II into the 60s, then game on. You got television, yeah. moving towards the internet. You got uh, high speed rocketry. We land on the moon. And now, look with AI, look at artificial intelligence, yeah. look at robotics. We're just, it, it's like a rocket ride in terms of scale where we're going with all this knowledge and information. Yeah. But here's the problem. Knowledge is rapidly increasing exponentially, mm -hmm. but wisdom is not. Yeah. Now that's the key. Wisdom flatlined. We're not smarter. Mm -hmm. We're not a happier people today. We no. might live a couple of years longer, but generally speaking, addiction, violence, uh, a lot of these things that are going on indicates that our level of wisdom cannot handle where we're going with this knowledge. And just like the Romans, they can make all these things like you just recited, yeah. aqueducts. Colosseums, but their wisdom, they ended up a corrupt society and a culture, and they went down. Well, you know, while you were gone, I went to see the movie Oppenheimer, yeah. which uh, is the guy that, uh, you know, he put together the, uh, the team that founded the nuclear bomb in Los Alamos, and the goal was they were trying to beat Germany to, uh, to achieve that goal. And, you know, you just go back and forth with some of the questions that the scientists started to ask themselves. Just because we can do it, should mm. we? Should we? Didn't Einstein in that movie tell him not to? Yes. I saw so, that. So here's what happened. At least this is the way they portrayed it. Um, he, he was talking to Einstein, and he asked him, he asked Einstein, Oppenheimer, to review his math models for the bomb. And Einstein gave it back to him and said no. He goes, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, he said, even though you're going to accomplish your goal, I'm sure I have confidence in you, you'll probably be hated for it, mm. for your accomplishments. And, you know, he was. He, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, he, was, uh, he, he uh, was removed of all of his clearance to work on other, um, you know, defense uh, products and, uh, you know, work for the DOD. And then years later... He was given an award before he died. He died at a young age in his 60s. He had uh, throat cancer. But but Einstein is, you know, Einstein was focused on his greatness to help understand the universe, and he stayed in his lane. Right. And he was he could have easily been a part of that group. Right. And he said no. 
Yeah, I saw the movie Who's too. Now? So, the, 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 again, there's knowledge is increased. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we could split the atom, mm-hmm. the same thing has happened in biology with what's going on with DNA. Right. We're splitting DNA and we're making these mm-hmm. strange life forms yeah. and stuff. Man thinks whatever I can think about, I'm going to do. Yeah. It's very similar to back there in, Revela- in uh, Genesis. Mm-hmm. Whatever man was starting to think mm-hmm. about cooperatively. That's where the power comes in when you get cooperative, creative minds coming together. But if wisdom doesn't rise with knowledge, all we're doing is being more and more sophisticated to kill each other yeah. or to, to do great damage. I mean, they're saying when we invented the Internet, well, all, maybe upwards to 20% of the Internet is some way involved with pornography. Think about it. You know, and now look where TV's going and uh, movies are going. Yeah. Because why? The same knife that a surgeon can use to cut out a tumor is the same knife a, a thief can use to stab you when he robs you. Same same tool, so to speak, because why? Wisdom and morality and self-control are not involved. And that's what happened to Rome. You see, they had all this stuff going on. But one of the reasons they wanted the Colosseum and the Circus Maximus was to keep the people pacified. They call it give the people bread and circuses. Just give them some food, give them the big event, distract them. And then these guys are basically ruling yeah. the empire. You know, I, I don't know, John. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, are we any different than, you know, Lucifer was in heaven wanting to be God? Well, yeah. You know, because we're created in the image of God. You know, he's given us that curiosity. And, and that's really, you know, at least what I have found and the, with the Roman Empire, and even in this movie at the time, I don't know how many Christians were in that science yeah, team. Right. Uh, I doubt there were a lot um, because they knew what they were doing. And then they were even looking at the hydrogen bomb, which would have been a super bomb. Right. And he said he wasn't going to work on that. He was going to focus on the nuclear bomb. But anyway, you just you just realize there's so many doors we can open. And when you open something, it's sometimes letting out... Uh, great evil. Well, you almost have to right. Yes, you you have to sometimes bias. keep the doors closed and move on. Yeah. And you, but you saw a lot of that in the movie. They were going back and forth. Should we do this just because we can? And what they came, they concluded, is and the only reason a lot of them decided to stay on is because the you know some of the military people said we're doing this to keep control. To Plus keep, they were concerned with keep, Germany. Right and, 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 yeah. right, and to keep peace. And their claim about Japan, even though they were already defeated, is they're never going to stop. Yeah. We have to do something to stop them. Right. So that was the cards yeah. they were dealt. I mean, they, they dealt with these issues. Right. Uh, one thing was interesting, it, it, uh, I don't know if you heard that line right before they're going to detonate it, when the, well, the officer said to Oppenheimer, make sure you don't blow up the world. Because, oh, see, yeah. they didn't know about the right. chain reaction. Right. Because of the atmosphere. They didn't know, are we are we untying the very uh, fabric that holds physicality, the physical right. properties of the world together? Right. You know, is there going right. to be a chain reaction? I remember that. And uh, that, That's really interesting to even think that they would think that, yeah. that that's possible. Because they didn't know yeah, exactly what they did. Yeah. When you so, split an atom, they just didn't know the... So that's a modern yeah. day kind of reflection on what right. was going on in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Again, we, we, another thing we did while we were in Rome, we went to see Paul's prison, the Apostle Paul. We saw him in Acts 27 and 28 yeah. getting off the boat. Right. Now he's up in Rome and he's in prison. And when you study Paul, we'll look at it in a minute, 
Uh, he's both in uh, under house arrest. You'll see that later in Act yeah. 28. This is where people could come and visit. But then he was in this hardcore prison, and that's what we were able to get into. And you go in, they have a plaque there, and how many people were killed and martyrs in that yeah. prison. And then you go down these winding steps, and you see his dungeon. And it just it's just like going into a damp basement, and above there is a hole, and they think that's where they lower the prisoner in, yeah. or they drop food down. Well, was it pitch black? It was black, yeah. Maybe he had a torch down there, yeah. but that's where um, they think he, he wrote the letters, yeah. the prison letters. And, and how joyful he was when well, he, he was said, in Philippians, he wrote, he wrote, uh, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, uh, Philemon, and uh, Philippians. From there, that's what they think are the prison letters. And he's saying in Philippians, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And again, I say, rejoice. <clears throat> Why? Because Paul calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He never thought of himself, "I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire," or "I'm a prisoner under Emperor Nero." Yeah. Or, he he saw himself as he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And it would probably be from that prison that we went and saw. He when he walked up those steps, it was over for him. He. Uh, he was going to give up his life, be beheaded. That's what happened. Well, to him. you know, you saw it firsthand, John. Could you have stayed as positive as he was? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable to think about how positive he was when he was writing to Timothy. Well, yeah, and that's where he uh, says basically to Timothy, yeah, um, that he's fought the good race. Yep. He, he says, he says, he says yep. something very interesting. He says in Timothy, Second Timothy, this is one of his last letters. Uh huh. He says, Timothy, do do diligence to come to me shortly. But then he says something very interesting in verse 10. Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world. And, he's, and he's, this was one of his old teammates one of, on his mission team. And he says this, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him. Then he talks about these different people. Uh, but he says, the cloak that I left at Troy is with Carpus. When you come, bring it with you. See, he, that's probably the only comfort or blanket he had was this cloak. Mm. And the books bring, but especially bring the parchments. So that was probably the scripture mm -hmm. scrolls. And he says, he talks about uh, basically, um, notwithstanding, he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now maybe they tried to kill him earlier, and they it stopped. The Lord shall deliver me from every and preserve me unto the heavenly, to whom glory. And then he says, uh, Basically, earlier in that same chapter, he says, I fought the good fight, yeah. and I'm ready to be offered up. Um, he's gone through it all, and um, he, this is the end of his life in Second Timothy. So we were in that very prison. So you in that prison, and you look outside, you see the Colosseum. You see man's uh, heroic. You know, these gladiators were heroic, yeah. and they had yeah. their names scratched oh, yeah. on the wall. But what did they leave us? Nothing. But we sit here today, and we read Paul's letters. You know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his legacy lives on. That's the key, is that somebody as well said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So what he did for Christ in, in his example and his letters, the letter to the Ephesians, we read today and we learn from, mm -hmm. it lasts and lasts. Yeah. And if, if we die 20, 30 years from now, any lives we touched or through children or grandchildren will last and last, you yeah, see? Yeah, But, But building, I mean, you go to Rome, you see museums, you see fallen down, you know, they're kind I of know. impressive, but nevertheless, they're, they're, that's it, you know, whereas this is a living word. 
this is going to continue. This is going to change and transform yes. lives. Amen. That's why when you invest in the Word of God and the Kingdom of God, the return is great. The investments are great. You know. So we did see that. Go on. Yeah, I was just going to say. You know, you were talking about this, and again, I think connecting Pompeii and, and the recent catastrophe in Hawaii, they're so similar well, in yeah. a lot of ways. But you know, everybody's so focused on their will. They're so focused on, you know, buttoning up, uh, cleaning out their house so their kids, as they get older, don't have to worry about cleaning out the attics and the basement right. and all those things. But the best thing you can do is prep yourself and your family and be in the Word and be a follower of Christ. That Amen. is the biggest planning, the best uh, strategy you can have for yourself and your family. Yeah, because... There's another way to say it. There isn't, because... The key to life yeah. is relationships. Right. Okay. This the number one relationship yeah. is relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the right. vertical beam of the yeah. cross. The horizontal beam is our relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Once you, people understand it, they think the key to life is to be successful, be to be famous, to be good looking, to have a boat, to da, da, da. all of these things. I'm not saying they're bad, but they're not the best things. They're not the best things yeah. that will last the, the test of time. But to invest in other people's lives, that, yeah. that, that, that that's going to last when you're gone. Oh, yeah. That's why Jesus says repeatedly, make disciples. Make disciples. First and foremost, we want to see disciples out of our own children, our own families. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he gives us a wider uh, influence, hopefully, to reach other people. You reach other people, they reach other people. So, um, yeah. anyhow, we saw Paul's prison. I was curious about that. You step outside and then you see all these big... Uh, the Roman form, the temples, it's right there on the seven hills of Rome. You know, it was built yeah. on seven hills. But what he, what they did is, you know, whatever, it's kind of gone. But what Paul did last today, because yeah. we're still reading his letters, we're looking at his example. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So we saw that there. We saw a lot of the other features at Rome. I mean, what their artistry is incredible. Their art, I look at the sculptures, the paintings, and I say to myself, when did they apprentice these artists? Were they six or seven years old? I don't How does man create that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff? Because if you go to the Cleveland Museum today, and you go to the Renaissance, Middle Ages, even ancient art, Babylonian, right. Egyptian, and then you go down to the first floor and you see modern art, yeah. oh, there's no comparison, right. the skill level. Modern art, you, can, you don't even know what's going on half if you can't figure it out. There's not form, beauty, patterns, coloration. But you go up to those other floors and what they did in the time of Rome, you've been there. You've seen Teddy oh, yeah. Fountain. Yeah. You've seen some of yes. the sculptures. You've seen David, the Mona Lisa. It's incredible. Uh, on and on. It's just uh, in incredible. So we went, went, went to Rome, and then after that we went up to uh, the, some of the smaller cities like Siena, and then uh, San Gimimango, and then uh, Florence. Now Florence was significant because that's where Da Vinci was from. Oh yeah, Leonardo Da Vinci, Galileo, all the big guys were up there. It was a center of learning, and that's where um, a lot of the, what we call the Renaissance art and influence started coming into the church. Even Reformation, because there was a man named Savonarola, and about the 1400s, and he says Christianity, the church is getting corrupted. There's a lot of uh, immorality, and he says the people are they basically burned a lot of these books yeah. and, and nudity and all this other immorality and he gave his life for it. We saw the spot where he was actually killed. And uh, But you see that influence that 
every generation, it says in, it says in Jude verse 3 in the second last book of the Bible, contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And every generation has to say, what is it we believe and what is it we're giving our children and the next generation? Because we have a tendency to drift. You know, we have a tendency to move. Like today, there's a huge drift in yeah. these big denominations like Methodists or the Anglican Church in England is splitting apart because they're moving away from the Word of God, you know, and the standards of God's Word. And every generation has to say, this is what we believe in, and that's what was happening throughout some of these things we tracked while we were in Italy, in ancient Rome. There was these movements of Reformation. We're saying, hey, we're drifting. It's getting corrupted. It's, you know, people in clergy are getting paid, and they have mistresses, and all this crazy stuff is going on. And people are saying, we got to return to the right way. Just like ancient Israel, prophets were being sent to them by the Lord to repent, return, get rid of idolatry, immorality, care for the widows and the orphans, you know, return. And we're at that place today. America's in dire need of a, of a national return to God. No, no kidding. And, uh, and uh, the Bible clearly says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we desperately need to see this. So we went to Rome. We did a lot of things there. It's hard to get into everything. And then we went to Florence. But the one little sidebar, just for a couple minutes. One thing that was interesting about when our time in Florence, right outside Florence, is where um, the famous uh, little story of Pinocchio was written. Yeah. Uh, this was written about 18... And that's in Florence? Just outside a little town in Florence. Okay. It, was, it was written by a man named... La, Carlo uh, Lorenzi, Lorenzini. He was born in 1826, died in 1890. And he had originally called The Adventures of Pinocchio, written in 1883. So just after our Civil War a little bit. But this become a, a favorite, you know. And yeah. of course, Walt Disney would make it into a, a classic uh, movie in the 1950s. Right. But the more I studied it, the more you see that the the story of Pinocchio is based on the story of the prodigal son, hmm. out of Luke chapter 15. And what I mean, just the last couple of minutes here, the story of Pinocchio basically it features on this um, clockmaker, kind right. of a little carpenter, lives at that time period, 1800s, and he always wanted a little boy. You know, he wanted a son. He never had it, you know, so he, he makes this puppet, wooden puppet, a marionette, if you mm -hmm. will, and uh, he calls it Pinocchio. Well, what happens is, he, he, as he's sleeping, this fairy godmother comes and kind of blesses the little Pinocchio puppet. He becomes a real live wooden right. puppet. He comes alive. And the man, Geppetto, his creator, is so happy. And, he's, you know, and he, he says, this is wonderful. We're going to send him off to school. He's going to learn to be a real little boy. But before he goes, the fairy godmother, who's a type of the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you a little helper, Jiminy Cricket. And he's going to tell you mm -hmm. what is bad and what yeah. is good and how to... That's like your conscience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a conscience. You know, Jiminy Cricket. What's interesting is the letters, the initials are J.C. Mm. But he's got this <laughs> conscience. He's supposed to listen to it, but he doesn't. And so the, the, the little... Was he Christian? Who? The, the, the author? We don't know. Lorenzi, okay. the right. writer, yeah. we don't know. Uh, I don't know. Let's put it okay. that way. But... Um, so he goes off, but what happens is he gets captured by these kind of flim-flam men who see this wooden puppet that's talking and yeah. moving. They get him, they want to put him in a sideshow. They're going to make a lot mm -hmm. of money. But as he goes, he, he gets, what, what Pinocchio does, he goes further and further 
into sin, into darkness, bad companions, just like the prodigal did. And he's not listening to his conscience. Mm. He's disregarding Jiminy Cricket when he says, don't go there, this is wrong. And he finally, he gets enslaved with other little boys and by this, uh, it's like trafficking, really. I mean, it has a modern-day application. And he sends them to this island to work as, like, slaves. And uh, that shows you the power of sin. It starts small, but after a while, you're enslaved. And it's very, very similar. To, like the prodigal, you end up te- you know, eating pig's food in Luke chapter 15. Well, what happens when he goes further and further into sin, uh, Pinocchio starts turning into a donkey. He yeah. becomes very much like an animal. It's in the, it's in the little uh, storyline. Yeah, and so he goes yeah. through it. Long story short, the way he, gets, he escapes... But he dives into the ocean, and it's there he's swallowed by a whale, mm. okay? And the only way he get out of the whale, his father would later, who comes searching for him, get swallowed too, is he builds a fire in the whale, and he gets everybody out of the whale. But remember Jesus says, this generation is seeketh a sign, but what sign would be given to this generation? Only the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So that he, out of the because he displays courage and wisdom and compassion, he's he's now restored. He's redeemed. He goes back to his father's Geppetto, his creator. Yeah, Geppetto. He's praying over this little boy, or this little puppet. The fairy godmother comes. He makes him a real flesh and blood boy. <coughs> and the Geppetto says, "My little boy was dead. Now he's alive." Very similar to the father and the prodigal son in Luke chapter fifteen, where he says. My son was once dead, now he's alive. And there's great rejoicing with Geppetto in his workshop because now he has a real living little boy. There it is. So it's very interesting when you look at modern-day movie, old-time parables, mythology, to see they have biblical themes. But this struck me, so I taught it to the group that day, the Pinocchio, and now they'll always remember his connection with Pinocchio. And I think that's a great way even to teach children is to use these old uh, kind of lessons from mythology, Aesop's fables, anything, mm-hmm. you see. that's Because what's our goal, David? Take the complex yes. and make it simple. Right. Because I'm convinced a lot of people want to know about the Bible and understand the Bible, but they say it's too daunting. It's too hard. I don't see how it's put together. Am I right? And oh, you're definitely right. But what we're seeing, I, and we'll talk about as time goes on, I, think, I believe there's simpler ways to present... Uh, biblical truths. The the only reason um, I only read the Bible, uh, and I've said this on the shows too previously, uh, when you gave me a deadline, mm-hmm. and you said, "Okay, I'm coming back," because you were the president of Wyke International for three years, and you said, "Before I come back, I want you to read the Bible front to back." And I waited to about you know a year, and I knew you were coming back, but that's how long it took me uh, because I wanted to do it slow. Uh, so I did one book of the Old Testament and one new every single day. Right. And I went all the way through. I had a program that I, I set up for myself. And let me tell you, it was great. And maybe that's a way you can do it. Look up that kind of pattern of reading the Bible where you do one Old Testament, one new. What's amazing is it's almost like you're looking at two dots and you're connecting them with a line. Right. That's when you do it in that fashion. Yeah, right. Versus reading all the Old Testament and then going all the way through it, that's the way I did it. So um, you know, I would urge you to to take a look at a schedule. Uh, you could probably find some on the internet to do that, and they'll walk you through reading the Bible in a year. 
um, in that fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our trip day. I mean, that's yeah. a quick overview of our trip yeah. to Italy. But uh, there was a lot of spiritual lessons uh, to be learned along the way. It was a great what, fellowship. What was the biggest thing, your biggest takeaway from the trip? I, I think in some way in, in the greatest takeaway was I talk about the Colosseum, but but the idea that man is so creative, yeah. he is so ingenious, and especially when you combine that with others, yeah. and what we're capable of doing is amazing huh. in terms of uh, buildings and aqueducts and Colosseums and art, yeah. you know, beautiful statue and fountains, but, but uh, if there's not wisdom, if it doesn't some way glorify God or honor God or help people figure out life's real purpose, which is to know mm -hmm. God and to serve Him. It's, 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 it's futile. It, it's just, it's just, it's sound and fury. And, and you go back to Rome on this trip and you see museums and you see buildings in it, but the, the, the empire collapsed. They have four, like I said, first century, Paul gets off yeah. that boat at about 55, mm -hmm. 58 AD. And he's a prisoner, with maybe six, mm -hmm. seven, eight guys with him, other Christians. Yeah. Four centuries later, Roman Empire is going down. Okay, it's collapsing. What's happening to Christianity? It's on a rocket ride, and it's going to reach the whole world. Today, there's 2.5 billion people on the planet, somehow, some way, named the name of Jesus Christ. And you look at the influence of this one man using these 12 individuals, yeah. uh, 120 in the upper room on Pentecost, yeah. but you look at medicine, orphanages, uh, leprosy reform, prison reform, literacy, education, universities, music, art, all because of this singular man. Unbelievable. And how could yeah. that happen? What he changed last to this day. Why? Because he changed lives. That's the key. Amen. Life. So, David, that's yeah. a little bit. Uh, thank everybody for listening in today. Hopefully, we got some interviews coming up, God willing, in the coming <clears> weeks. <throat> Again, we thank you for WNZN Radio for yes. this platform. The and and your son for helping us uh, get it on the podcast. Michael, yeah, for all together. the work he does. Yep. Anybody looking for old shows, previous shows, I think he's archived up to six to seven years. I think there's over 200. There are. And they're all titled. They're dated. <laughs> this one we called uh, Rome, uh, Influence of Early Christianity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, again, thank you. Thank you for listening. All of you have a great and blessed week. And uh, talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. God bless.